Hello and welcome to A History of the United States. Episode 54. New York Divided. Remember that this is an independent podcast. If you want to support the show, then please consider signing up for membership at the website, thehistoryofpodcast.com. Just click on the PayPal subscription button. In our last episode, we covered how Rhode Island advanced from its 1644 patent into complete chaos, a restoration of order under Roger Williams, and then the 1663 Royal Charter, which secured its position as a colony. Today, I want to turn back to a topic we last covered 10 episodes ago, New York and Delaware. 1664 was one of the most important dates in the history of New York. In that year, the colony was taken from the Dutch, who, to be honest, no longer really wanted it. New Netherland had not produced the promised profits, and Dutch merchants had other greater interests, for example, the Spice Islands. The English, however, were in the process of setting up their dominion over the Atlantic seaboard, and the Dutch controlled land between their northern and southern colonies, which was an unpleasant mark on the map. The ownership of the land transferred from the Dutch West India Company to become the property of James, the Duke of York, brother of Charles II and future King James II. This is why, rather than becoming the Colony of New York, in the model of the Colony of Virginia, New Netherland instead became the province of New York. In some ways, the transition was immediately felt. Many Dutch farmers recognised the change and were happy to go along with it. They took surnames and anglicised their names. For example, Karel van Brugge became Charles Bridge. Yet, in deeper ways, it would take the colony at least a generation to make the transition from Dutch to English, and there would be many ramifications because of this. Indeed, for some time, New York was something of a backwater. Most listeners of the show are American, and I expect even more have a background in the basics of American history. But there are some who are completely new to the subject. It's a perspective I know well. American history wasn't taught in my school, so everything I know about America I've had to pick up independently. This made the process more challenging. For instance, not knowing how to pronounce Roanoke. But it does mean that I have a pretty good understanding of the process of learning American history. To brand new students of the subject, there are some things that you know from general knowledge. One of those is that New York is important. I have a very clear memory of being seven years old, and a family friend gave me a placemat, which was a map of the United States. It had all the state names on it, and the state capitals. Thinking about it, it's more than likely that my interest in America has a lot to do with this placemat. Every morning, I'd get up and my parents would make me breakfast before school. I'd sit at the dining table and I'd look at my placemat. Gradually, I'd learn the states, I'd learn state capitals. But there were some things in particular that really confused me. I couldn't understand why New York wasn't the capital of America. 
New York, I'd heard of. California, I knew about. But what on earth was Washington, D.C.? My friends at school would use our newly gained ability to read to go through the first Harry Potter book, but me, I was on a quest to understand what on earth the districts of Columbia was. My quest would take several years. Back then, we didn't have the internet, while my small primary school in Manchester had a library. We didn't have many books on the American political system. It was all very frustrating to a seven-year-old Jamie. As I've said many times on this show, I was a strange kid. Anyway, my point. New York is a larger-than-life name. You have the assumption that it was a very important place in American history. New York was, but this was a reputation it acquired in later centuries. For much of early American history, Boston and Massachusetts are far more important than New York. It might be obvious to you, but there are others, such as me when I first became interested in the subject, who didn't understand the colonial balance of power. We've already discussed the problems New Netherland had in attracting settlers from the Netherlands. There wasn't an excess of Dutch population willing to move to the shacks on the Hudson. It was a huge gamble. The benefits did not look as good as life in the Netherlands. This process was made even worse by the English capture of the region. The Dutch weren't particularly inclined to travel to New Netherland and immigrating to the English New York was an even less appetising proposition. The English weren't that bothered either. Why would they travel to a weaker, mostly Dutch colony, when they could travel to either the strong agricultural bases in the south, such as Virginia and Carolina, or the more secure Puritan merchant settlements of Massachusetts, Connecticut, and the soon-to-be-founded Pennsylvania? New York was rather unique, but it would take time for this to become a positive feature rather than a negative. The first thing to be understood about New York was its size. It was huge. Huge. It contained under its jurisdiction the land of the Hudson and Delaware rivers. It also, due to the shortage of willing immigrants, was sparsely populated, particularly in contrast to its more active neighbours. This meant that the very first thing to happen to New York after the conquest was that it was broken up into several smaller areas. I want to deal with these in order of complexity, starting with the simplest and then advancing to the more complicated as I feel this is easier to follow than going strictly chronologically. We've been dealing with the arguments between New Netherland and Connecticut for some time. Dutch-English tension had a great deal to do with what has been going on for the last 20 years, and all the events that led up to the conquest of New York. Many of the New England colonies had various stakes in this game, but the two which caused the greatest issues were Connecticut and New Haven. Under its royal charter, Connecticut took over control of New Haven, but this was just one of the many battles it was fighting for its frontiers. It was locked in a bitter struggle with Rhode Island for control of the mainland around Narragansett Bay, and it was furious that its London representative, John Winthrop the Younger, had abandoned that particular struggle. Its other concern was Long Island. 
Connecticut was just across the Long Island Sound from Long Island itself, and it supported the English townships on the island against the Dutch settlements on the tip of the island, in what will eventually become Brooklyn and Queens. It made more sense that they belonged to Connecticut than New York, but they were given to New York in 1664. Connecticut was not best pleased, and it represented one of the many such reasons that its neighbours didn't like New York, even though it was now supposedly part of the team. Western Connecticut, which had become part of New York, was granted back to Connecticut in 1667, in a move which I suspect was motivated at least partly in annoyance at the Long Island decision, but that is just a hunch on my part. The next most complicated has to do with the land to the west, rather than to the east of the province. In addition to the land stretching north of the Hudson, there was also some land off to the east that belonged under the jurisdiction of New York. This was its land between the Hudson and the Delaware. It was rather ill-defined, like many of the details of 17th century colonialism. Therefore, in 1665, the Duke of York decided to break off this piece of territory into its own colony to be controlled by Lord Berkeley and Lord Carteret. It was to be based around the Dutch settlement of Bergen, and was given the new name of New Caesarea. The name didn't really stick though, and so this new colony became known by its other name, New Jersey. That is also relatively simple, but now we have to deal with the real trouble-causing areas. It's worth taking just a moment for me to recite a passage from Cameron's Colonial New York, a history. Quote, By giving away all the land lying between the Hudson and Delaware rivers, the Duke left his subjects feeling cooped up, Governor Thomas Dongan's phrase, between New England and New Jersey, and competitive with them for immigrants and economic growth. The remote settlements beyond the Delaware were a military liability, as they had been for the Swedes and Peter Stuyvesant. As for Upper Maine and the New England Islands, they were about as useful as dead limbs on a dress, and knots on its trunk. Quite visible, but uncongenial to active growth. They added administrative costs and produced almost no revenue, and brought New York into conflict with Massachusetts, as well as France. End quote. I will put a map on the website to explain what I'm talking about here, because it's a bit confusing. After New Jersey and Western Connecticut had been taken out of the equation, there were what we can call the three classifications of New York land. The first was the heartland. This was New York. Both in essence and in terms of what we think of New York as, it was the city of New Amsterdam, now renamed New York City, on Manhattan, and the settlements up the Hudson as far as Albany. This was the populated area, indisputably part of the colony. Next came the more loosely populated areas of the colony. These were under New York jurisdiction, but didn't have the same connection with the colony that the settlements along the Hudson did. This included the areas which had been given to New Jersey, Connecticut, 
and the area of what had been New Sweden on the far side of the Delaware. The third area were those that New York claimed but were not populated, at least not heavily populated, and only really caused disputes. This included an area of northern Maine, the upstream areas of the Connecticut River, and even a stretch of land going into the interior about as far as what would become the state of Missouri. Now, this claim of the interior is something we don't need to talk about at all, but the Delaware, the upstream Connecticut, and northern Maine all require a bit of discussion. Northern Maine wasn't particularly an issue for New York. It was really far away from the Hudson and wasn't very profitable. It was ceded to Massachusetts in 1691. Upstream Connecticut was more of a battleground between the two colonies. The land to the east of upstream Connecticut had a bit of an odd history, alternating between independence and parts of a province of Massachusetts while at the same time being claimed by New York. Eventually, in 1689, the area became the independent province of New Hampshire, and then New Hampshire resumed the conflict with New York about who owned the land to the west of the river. The matter was settled during the revolution when this area declared its independence from both states to become the Vermont Republic in 1777. The enterprise would be short-lived, lasting until 1791, when it joined the Union, becoming the 14th state in the process. I felt like this should be covered here, since Vermont won't really play an important role in the colonial era, but it's worth covering briefly, so you don't think I'm forgetting about it. And then, after all of this, we have Delaware. New Jersey was an odd colony to create. The land between the Hudson and the Delaware rivers may sound nice, but what it did was leave a small slice of land on the far side of the Delaware River, belonging to New York. It would have made sense to grant the land to New Jersey, or even to give it to Lord Baltimore, who wanted it for his Maryland enterprise, but no, it belonged to New York. The area became what we call Delaware Colony in 1664, although that implies that it was independent in all of its colonial affairs, like the others. But it certainly wasn't. This is revealed by the fact that at the time it was simply known as the Three Counties. It was administered by New York until 1682, when it was granted to William Penn, who had founded his colony, Pennsylvania, in the previous year. Penn tried to merge the three colonies with Pennsylvania, but this pleased nobody. In the end, the two colonies would share a governor, but the three counties would have their own legislative assembly from 1704 onwards. This was the state of play until the Revolution, when the three counties broke free of Pennsylvania, taking the name Delaware, after the Baron de la Loire, a former governor of Virginia, who we dealt with a long time ago. His name had been used to describe the bay and river, and eventually the adjoining land. The idea of joint governors may sound odd, but it was something that did happen. New Jersey had the same governor as New York until 1738, but then New Jersey has the added complication of spending 26 years between 1676 and 1702 split into east and west, but that's for later down the road. 
We've done what we needed to for today. Gone back to New York, looked at the initial English takeover, and along the way covered the creation of Delaware, New Jersey, Vermont, and New Hampshire. Not bad for a day's work. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please consider signing up for membership. You can do that by going to the website, thehistoryofpodcast.com, and clicking on the PayPal subscription button. You can like us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash thehistoryofpodcast, follow me on Twitter, at historyjamie, and send me an email, thehistoryofpodcast at gmail.com. I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Thank <laughs> you.